podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Steve, I'm just wondering how uh, excited you are to get back into playing some red ball or long form cricket against the pink ball after all the white ball stuff. Yeah, very excited. Um, you know, I love test cricket. Um, you know, it's my favourite form of the game, no doubt. Um, challenges you in, in so many different ways. So, yeah, excited to, to get back out and play some some long, long form cricket. Um, you know, it's been almost a, close to a year since our, our last game. So, um, yeah, really excited. Can't wait. And I know the boys are all really keen to, to get out there and play as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. That was the world's best batsman, Steve Smith there. Move over, Virat Kohli. It's the Steve Smith Show time, and I'm your co-host, Andrew Menzel. Joining me, as ever, is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Nervous, manners. I'm nervous. For, um, for the last year, every opportunity I have had, I have found a way to indicate to people that Australia is going to win this upcoming series 4-0, often passively, aggressively. Um, just so confident was I that Australia was going to destroy India. All of a sudden, David Warner being out, it's a massive blow. Uh, Perkovsky, who was looking so good, such a sad situation that he's been ruled out as well. Hopefully, Cameron Green will, will be able to play. But um, And with India performing very well in the, in the, the warm-up games as well, um, all of a sudden, I'm starting to think, look, I'm, I'm not going to change 4-0 because I've, I'm, I'm um, committed to it now, but um, well, just, just getting a bit nervous. I have to say I agree with you. The, the build-up to this test series has been far better for India than has been for Australia, and they've landed a few heavy psychological blows on the Aussie team, and I know how much um, stock you put in psychological blows <laughs> in sport, so... Um, All right, in this podcast, we're going to preview the first test. Then we're going to be joined by Indian cricket journalist and friend of the show, Barrett Sundarason. Then we've got all the cricket headlines and can't let it go. All right, let's get straight into previewing the first test. So, as you say, so much has happened since we last recorded. Uh, Pekofsky has been ruled out. Cameron Green has been hit in the head in the Australia A game bowling, not batting, and he could be ruled out. We've had Marcus Harris brought into the squad. We've had Moses Enriquez brought into the squad. But I guess the best news is Mitch Stark is joining the team in Adelaide. So we will have our premier attack on show. Yep, uh, that is very good news. But in terms of, uh, you know, Channel 7, who have been not all that happy with the way cricket are going, David Warner being out is a massive blow to the draw card status of the Test match, as is Pekovsky. That the the build up around him, in some ways, it's even bigger than Green. That you hear hearing people talking about his technique, and they're almost moved to to, to poetry. So so beautiful is it, and so for him to now have had this is kind of the third time that he's been on the cusp of being in the Australian side to miss out. It really is, um, you know, it's, it's it's very sad, and hopefully he can figure at some point during the series. Yeah, extremely sad. And, and there must be question marks now over whether he can actually um, have a test career. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the medical experts seem to say that the main thing with concussion is what you really don't want to do is get concussion upon concussion. And the fact that he's had nine separate concussions, to me as a layperson, at, you know, at, at his young age, sounds worrying. Um, it would be good to know from a medical expert how worrying that is or if you limit it so that if it, if it happens once and then you're, you you wait till you come back to you're absolutely ready to come back, is that safe or are we now in the territory where, as you say, um, his, his long-term future in the game could be in doubt? Yeah, you, you've got the numbers there, nine concussions. That's just terrible. Not, not all of them have been done batting. I mean, he was playing AFL, he was hitting the field. So um, it's not necessarily about his technique. And Chris Rogers, the Victorian coach, said they were targeting Pekofsky's head in the Shield games leading into this summer. So he can play the hook shot and he can evade it. But it's, it's a matter of now it's just so sensitive that sort of if he, you know, if you're a test selector, there's obviously some trepidation that uh, he could easily get another concussion mid-match, and obviously the concussion sub comes into it. But I guess there's a duty of care for Cricket Australia with his health. Yeah, definitely. And now, in terms of his ability to play the short ball, I think that if we were doing this conversation even ten years ago. Uh, we would have no question about it because back in the day you, you get the you got the occasional hit in the he- in the head and that was fine. I mean, Justin Langer got hit in the head many many times. No one ever questioned his ability to play the short ball. So it's not as though he's um he's technically flawed. It's just that these days the world has moved to the point where we we are much more aware of the dangers of concussion than we ever have been before. Yeah, and there was some also other sort of concussions in the Australia A game. So I mentioned Cameron Green. He was bowling and and Boomer smacked the ball back at him and hit the side of his head. So he was subbed out of the game. But then later on the first day's play in the three-day game, Harry Conway, the New South Wales fast bowler who was playing for Australia A, he was hitting the head batting. And there were some nasty scenes where the Indian bowlers really went at Conway hard, who was the number 11, and, and bounced bounced him a lot, bowled a lot of short stuff at him. He didn't look good. Eventually, he almost ran himself out to get out of there. Um, I don't know if you saw much of it, but it was very concerning. There were some question marks over the tactics to Conway. Um, I would say my feeling is Conway wouldn't be copying it unless he's dished out either a bit of short stuff or a bit of verbals in the past. That's just speculation. But, um, yeah, that was weird. I suppose there's two answers, well, two parts to that. Number one is... uh, I think these sorts of things really are in the hands hands of the umpires, and that um, if if the umpires didn't see fit to intervene, then I can't be critical of the Indian players. But secondly, and we'll talk about this later in the show about the wider debate around cricket and concussion. Malcolm Knox uh, from the Sydney Morning Herald wrote a very provocative article during the week that um, we will discuss during the show. So, cricket and concussion, I think it's going to be something we're going to be talking about for some time. So, yeah, we had two concussion subs in the one game, Green and Conway, but I guess all the news surrounds about surrounds Joe Burns. What was it, duck and one in the Australia A game? Um, the, his last chance to sort of bat his way into test certainty. Um, I'm still picking Burns in the first test. I'm going Burns and Labuschagne to open with Green batting at six. If he's available, if Green's not available – then I'd probably have Enriquez at six. Um, But I would give Joe Burns one more start in the test matches to give it a go because I feel that this build-up has been bad for him. All this sort of consternation and procrastination and debate has probably unsettled him. The the thing that I would disagree with there, though, is 
Um, okay, so this season, nine innings, 62 runs at 6.9. If someone came up to you and said, Menas, we are going to debit every last cent from your bank account and it's going to be invested on this game in the form of a gamble, would you still want Joe Burns out there? If your whole bank account was on there, I think you'd say, oh, actually, I think I'd prefer someone else. My whole bank account's an interesting um, thought. <laughs> Has it got um, any money in it at all? <laughs> well, um, I, I mean, with Warner and Pekofsky out, it doesn't leave many options. I actually prefer Burns to Harris. I think Burns is just as likely to score runs as Harris in the against the Indian attack. So I'd probably still pick Burns. And he's done it before, test average of almost 40. Uh, I think just get him in there. So that's what you're saying. You're saying if, you're, if your life was on the line, um, yeah. I'm, I'm stepping it up a gear. If my life, if your was, life on the was on line, the line, you're picking Burns. Because my point is, people talk about what are we going to do for the future. The future is now. This is the most important test series that Australia has, is going to play for quite some time. If Australia lose this series, you know, the sort of asterisk that was against the Indian win from two years ago that people like, I think, Ravi Shastri and Virat Kohli have in their minds, if that's wiped clear, this is a historic win for India and a really... Uh, disappointing moment for Australia. Um, you know, you, you've got to go out there with the, the very best six-batch. That's why you want your tried and tested opener, Joe Burns. Done it before. Look, if they pick him and he scores runs, I'll be, you know, I'll be delighted for him. But I can't pick him on, on current form. Um, Who would you go with then? Yeah, I'm crazy though. No one agrees with me. But um, <laughs> okay, but like rationally, if your if your whole bank account was on the All line right. and the players you're picking are in the squad, so you can't say Maxwell because he's not in the squad. You can't say Whiteman because he's not in the squad. So are they in the squad? Who would you pick? No, I'm going to have to uh, just let me go a bit crazy first. Okay, go. Okay, go crazy. But if they're not in the squad, it's just fools talk. You may as well go to Disneyland. Well, I'm not talking about Whiteman. Um, but um, what I'm saying is this. If you could say to, to Shastri and um, Virat Kohli, who would you not want in the side? Would you rather Burns or would you rather Maxwell? They'll say, we'll have Burns, please, because Maxwell would scare them. You don't want Maxwell in the side if you're India. Because this is a different debate. I know Maxwell should be playing test cricket. I agree with that, but okay. he's not even in the squad. No, no, so. I'm prefacing that. I'm going to yeah. get to the, the, okay. the, to the... I'm just saying that for everyone who says, oh, he hasn't played a first-class game this summer, well, nor is Steve Smith. I agree with that. I think he deserves to go test cricket. Yeah, um, So, and I think that um, he would scare India. But in terms of who's in the squad, who would I pick? Well, I'm not going to pick Burns. The, the crazy thing is, I have never been a fan of Sean Marsh, and I wouldn't pick him now. Um, but as I said in a few podcast episodes You ago, were way ahead of everybody else <laughs> on this. At the beginning of your summer, you said, what if a ton of people get injured, Sean Marsh scores a stack of runs, you cannot rule him out, and you've been proven right. Right again, Paul Dennett. <laughs> no, I'm saying the theory was you shouldn't not consider him. You should always yeah, consider true. everyone, and I wouldn't pick him now. But if it's a choice between Marsh and Burns right now, I'm picking Marsh because this season Marsh is averaging uh, 97. But he's not in the squad. No, again, I know. But um, I, I, you keep on wanting to bring me back to reality, Menace. I don't like reality. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but as I said, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd pick Marsh over Burns at the moment. Again, I, I wish Burns every success if he does get picked. Okay, so if, if I'm only going to be picking players in the squad, I'd pick both Enriquez and Green. Well, there you um, go. And whack them in. I, I, you know, Who would you open with? Just Like if you had to sort of, would you go Wade and Harris? Yeah, uh, well, I wouldn't pick Harris. Okay, you wouldn't pick Harris. Yeah, I'd go Wade and um, Pekof, and uh, Labuschagne. Yeah. yeah, Smith at three, Wade at four. No, no, uh, Head at four, um, and then um, Enriquez and Green. Okay, where's Wade? Opening. 
Opening. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, you, you love Wade so much, you want to pick him twice. <laughs> I want to put him two spots in the order. Um, but right. I think what they're going to do, they're going to open with Harris and either Labashain or Wade, and then let's just say for argument's sake that it's going to be Wade they open with, then they'll have Labashain at three, Smith at four, uh, Head at five, and Green at six. Um, and then if Green is ruled out, I think Enriquez would come in at six. Not bad. What would you do? Well, he just just told you. Burns and Labashain with Smith at three, Head at four, Wade at five, Green at six. What did you think of Mark War's outlandish su- suggestion to open with Tim Payne? I'm fine with it. I mean, it's funny how... I knew you would be. No, but again, it's funny how everyone says, oh, you, you, you've got to have specialist openers. Yet I've heard credible people. He's a former selector. Now we've got Payne as a potential opener. Lots of people talking about Labuschagne as a potential opener. Lots of people are talking about Wade as a potential opener. And so, again, I'd say this shows that... You know, the, there is an awareness out there that maybe it's not quite as a specialised a position. You as are think. rubbing off on the cricket community. And the only other two that haven't been um, suggested as opener, Smith and Head, in, in our private chats, I've suggested both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think Smith should open in a one-day game and chuck out Finch, drop him. Um, <laughs> all right, so just on the bowling for Australia, I've got a, a slight concern. It's minor, but it's there. So Mitchell Stark's played first-class cricket in the last couple of months. Josh Hazelwood and Pat Cummins haven't played any first-class cricket for a while. And, you know, I've heard Hazelwood in particular interviewed after test matches talking about you do need to load your legs up, Mm. load your body up for test cricket. It's not like a one-day game or a T20 game. You can bowl lots of overs. You can spend many hours in the field. And there's no sort of way to train for that other than doing it. So my concern is I think we'll be okay in the pink ball, but if a couple of the Indian batsmen get in and blunt our attack, we could find particularly Hazelwood and Cummins drop off quite quickly because of the, the lack of sort of miles in the legs. It's a feature of modern cricket, and, and that why another another reason why it would be good to have Green in there, that he's got that um, something special with the ball as well. I find it interesting how, you, how it's just accepted that you can't replicate it um, in training. Now, surely you could say, okay, well, we aren't, you haven't got a four-day game um, up at the moment, but we're going to replicate it. You're going to bowl that many overs. Now, mentally it's different and everything else, and maybe you don't quite put in the same effort, but you'd, you'd be able to go close to replicating it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess would you get them to run down to sort of an imaginary fine leg after six balls and run around and field a few and then come back. But you're right, they could, but I think it's right. It's just not going to be the same. Uh, and when you're in the pressure, I think it's more tiring and you put more into it. Uh, but I'm sure they do that. I'm sure they go into the nets and go, all right, we need to build our loads up. Let's bowl, you know, 60, 10 overs straight. All right, let's call Barrett Sunderason from Crick Buzz to get his viewpoint on the series. Hello? Hey, Barrett. It's Menes and Paul. How are you? Menes and Paul. I'm doing very well. So, Barrett, um, I believe we, you were following me on the radio today. Sure. Both made appearances on SEN 1170. Um, I sort yeah, of, no. I warmed up the crowd no. for you. <laughs> thanks, 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 Manas. Yeah, I think when I came on, they left. <laughs> 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 no, 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 all good. No, yeah, I know. I saw that in the morning. I said, wow, it's all meant to be. It's all meant to be. That's right. Now, Barrett, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, Paul and I were talking about this series, and, and we're thinking, like, India come into this first test match with with a bit of momentum, actually. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Australia's 11 was settled, or 12 was settled. Now, Australia's got a spate of injuries. India have done pretty well in the white ball stuff. They they did well in the Aussie A games. India must be feeling pretty confident. 
Uh, it's interesting you bring that up, man, because at the end of the second ODI, it really felt like, uh, oh, oh, here we go again. And that was the mood back in India. Uh, they were like, oh, we know where this tour is going. The results is going to be 3-0, 3-0, 4-0. India is going to struggle to win a single match. It wasn't just Michael Vaughan who was uh, tweeting that out. but It was pretty much every Indian cricket fan. And the story was, oh, Virat and Rohit, oh, maybe Rohit should have been there. Where was Surya Kumar Yadav when you needed him? And it, it was all negative. But now it, it's in this amazing turnaround the last, what, six or seven days. It's like Australia have, have got the bad win. And, you know, there's injuries. We don't know whether Joe Runs can ever, ever Joe Burns. Look, I'm calling him Joe Runs now. I, it, that would have been a better name for him, I guess. Uh, he, he was in the runs. But yeah, Joe Burns, can he ever score a test run again? So many question marks about that. Concussions and injuries. Mark Stekety comes in as a concussion substitute in the practice game and walks off with a bad leg. But luckily, he does come back to bowl. And India have had a great last 10 days or so. Yes, they won the T20Is. But more importantly, uh, across the two practice games, they've found batsmen are finding form. Rahane's had 100. Pujara had a decent game in the first. Uh, first outing at Dramoin and now we have Vihari scoring 100 Rishabh Pant doing a seawall scoring 100 of the last ball and you know more importantly Bumrah and Shami with the pink ball now they bowl under light they bowl under sunlight it all just seems to be falling into place so uh, what would many would have considered uh, the pink ball test to be which is Australia going in as overwhelming favourites Oh, it looks like it's turned around. It's more, more even Stevens. I wouldn't say India are favourites yet, but yeah, India definitely have a shout. Definitely, and I think the Indian bowling attack. You know, if they get the right conditions, they could be devastating. We saw what they did at the SCG with the pink ball. They, they could be really slippery. So, uh, who do you think it'll be? You got Bumrah and Shami. Who do you think will be the other the other quick? It's. You know, if you go back to like what ten months back when India last played a Test match in Christchurch, so they find out that Ishan Sharma is ruled out the evening before the Test match, and they were very keen on giving Navdeep Saini a debut. But the fact that they were one zero down and they just weren't sure, uh, they they went with experience in the form of Umesh Yadav, who is no stranger to Australia, who's on his fourth tour here. And the only thing that India have always wanted from him is that control. He is fast, he can move the ball around, but it's control because that's what Ishan Sharma has provided to them for so many years, especially in the last three or four years. But with Ishan gone and, um, you know, I would have thought Navdeep Saini would have been a front runner. But the way Umesh Yadav bowled at Dramoyne and just speaking to a couple of uh, guys in the team management, they felt that he was right on top of the pecking order now to be the third seamer. But you saw Navdeep Saini the other day, he was bowling uh, very quick. He was in his mid-140s uh, consistently, bowled, I think, a couple of deliveries to 149 under light on day one at the SCG. And Mohamed Siraj has done uh, himself no bad either. He's had two very good practice games. He seems to be... and at, In fact, even in Blacktown, you remember when I was amidst the Brown Snakes watching them practice? Me and Gav. So he had a decent game back then as well. He got rid of Agarwal and Shikhar Dhawan. So he's come along well on this too. So it will be an interesting pick and that's really the only position that India would have any like question marks about, but they're spoiled for choices at the moment. So you say that there's not many question marks. What is your expected, given that um, that uncertainty, what's your expectation for their 11? Oh, it, it's going to be Agarwal and Prithvi Shaw. I know uh, a lot of takers for Shubman Gill, uh, especially after the way he batted at the SCG, 40-odd and 60-odd. Um, classy batsman, very good on the eye. But Prithvi Shaw is the incumbent. Like, haven't we heard that word a lot in the last few months? <laughs> <laughs> incumbent, incumbency. And, and he he played the last test in Christchurch and he looked good. He 
Um, he scores very quickly, as you guys know. I mean, he is in the Virendra Sehwag mold very, very early to start making comparisons, but he can break a game. And that's what the Indian team management uh, really back him to do. And even though he failed in the second inning, I think what he did in the first innings at the SCG scoring 40 of 29 is what the Indian selectors and the Indian team management look at more than what he did not do in the second innings, which is get off to a start. Because that's the kind of batsman he is. He's given the freedom to go out in an all-out attack, and that's how he will play. I mean, if he bats for two sessions, uh, much like David Warner, or David Warner of, of old, that is, You'll know that he's going to give you a hundred. So yeah. India will back him at least in the in the early going. And then is it what Pajara, Kohli, and Rahani? Yeah, Kohli, Rahani, and now Vihari is amongst the runs as well. He brings that solidarity at number six, and I still think they will go with Saha ahead of Rishabh Pant. They 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 back the better wicketkeeper. Um, and, and then, like I said, Bumrah, Shami, and Ashwin pick themselves. It's just a third seamer, and India have lots of choices. If as an Australian fan, I, I find it surprising that Jadeja doesn't get a, a looking. Oh, that's purely because um, he's still not uh, completely recovered from his hamstring oh, okay. injury. Um, yeah, but even even otherwise, I, India generally go in with Ashwin as their first choice winner um, at the start of a series. And, and if you remember, Ashwin really set up that Adelaide test two years ago. He bowled maybe the best he'd ever bowled in Australia at that point. And then he got injured. So I think Ashwin would still be the first pick. The only The concern with Ashwin for India is more his batting, which is certainly gone down in the last couple of years because at one point he averaged in the mid-30s he still has four test centuries but Jadeja's batting just come leaps and bounds he started batting like the the way he does in first class cricket Uh, so in that sense yes Jadeja has an advantage of Ashwin but Ashwin definitely is uh, the senior spinner and what I'm really looking forward to guys is the battle between Ashwin and Lyon like how often in history have we had two off spinners both um, with over 350 wickets facing each other. Not very often. So, yeah, that's a battle that doesn't get spoken about much, but uh, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next month or so. I suppose I'd be saying that I'd be um, I'd be tempted to pick Jadeja instead of Vahari. Oh, uh, if he was fit? Oh, you never know. I mean, uh, the way he's been batting, he can really, I'm sure he can come in at six and bat. And he, he has been batting ahead of Saha, even in the home test that they played in the last few years. And what about KL uh, Rahul? Does he, he doesn't figure? Uh, look, he's come. He made a comeback into the Test squad. He was dropped. He's been left out for the last like year and a half or so. He wasn't part of the Test squad in New Zealand. So they brought him back uh, purely because he's been batting so magically in the white ball format. Um, but in at the early, early in the early going, I don't think he does get a look in. Even once Virat Kohli leaves, and also the way Shubman Gill's been batting, I believe Shubman Gill will get a go in the uh, at number four, uh, which is what I, I have been hearing as well. But uh, KL Rahul, who knows? I mean, maybe down down the line, if another batsman uh, kind of... And the advantage with KL Rahul is he can play both as an opener or in the middle order. Though I'd, he's played most of his test career at the top. I'd pick him instead of Ritam and Saha and make him keep. No, oh, that could be very, very interesting. If it comes down to that, then you know India are in big trouble. <laughs> Rahul <laughs> plays as a wicketkeeper ahead of Saha and Pant. Uh, because he hasn't kept much in the longer format uh, in his career. So that would be... Testing it, but why not? I mean, if you need a classy batsman, which Rahul is, and he's been in really good touch in the white ball stuff in the last couple of years, so why not? Yeah, maybe. But I think they would start with Saha, then go to Pant, and then if they are 3-0 going to Brisbane, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, you speak of KL Rahul. My old coach, Barrett, was a, an English player called Barry Knight, and he actually went to India, or KL Rahul came here about 10 years ago, and he worked with him and said he was going to be a big talent, and he was proven right. 
Absolutely. I, I think he's been India's most consistent white ball batsman in the last couple of years. Even more consistent than Rohit and Virat. So that tells you that Barry Knight was right all those years ago. That's right. He did better with Rahul than with me. Now, uh, <laughs> um, before I let you go, Barrett, I know you've gone home to spend some time with your lovely wife and I would like to wish your wife happy birthday for yesterday. She got... Um, Barrett home for the night, so um, that must have been fun. But look, um, you know, I want to know, you know, your prediction for the series uh, and and why you think that team will win. See, I always think, I always thought the pink ball was a lottery game anyway. I mean, regardless of who plays. So now with what, all that's happening in Australian League and just the way this whole series has been built around Virat Kohli, the whole tour anyway, I think India's winning Adelaide. Uh, Melbourne could be anyone's game. Did you say India winning India in Adelaide? Winning Sydney, so. Ooh, yes, sir. Yes, huge. I did. Manage. Oh, I Barrett. Did. <laughs> so, so India go 1-0 up. <laughs> India go 1-0 up uh, and like, you know, Virat Kohli returns home to his wife as a hero just like I did to <laughs> my wife, Manas. So, um, India go 1-up in Adelaide. Uh, I think Australia bounce back like they did last time around and they win Melbourne. Uh, and then and then Sydney is going to be interesting because I see both Warner and Rohit Sharma getting getting a go. Uh, two of the greatest white ball performers ever. Warner, I think, one of the greatest red ball performers ever as well. Uh, then it gets a little interesting. Uh, uh, and I think Australia still would still win 2-1. There would be a draw in there somewhere. But India is definitely taking first blood in Adelaide. I like it. Well, Barrett, thank you so much for joining us on Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, you have been the voice for India in the lead-up to this test series. <laughs> I'm so glad you could fit us in among your many, many, many media commitments. Oh, well, thank you, man. As well, I can never say no to you. Thank you very much. Uh, Barrett, uh, where can they keep a track of all your work throughout the series? Oh, they just need to log on to crickbuzz.com, number one cricket website in the world. Beautiful. Thanks, Barrett. Thank you so much, Manas. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers, Paul. Great stuff from Barrett Sunderson. And remember, head to CrickBuzz to find all his work throughout the series. All right, that was our preview of the first test. Australia v India starts this week. We'll take a break and then we'll be back with the cricket headlines. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Menes. I'm with Paul. And let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Well, the first headline is Malcolm Knox writing in the, I was going to say the Fairfax, but that's gone, in the Channel 9 newspaper stable, um, has basically suggested that in about 20 years from now, the bouncer won't be in cricket and we'll be we'll be wondering why we allowed the bouncer to be in cricket for so long. This is what he's written. 20 years from now, we will be wondering how the practice of aiming a projectile at a player's head was allowed to go on for so long. All right, now let's have a listen to what Josh Hazelwood said when he was asked about this prospect. Oh, no, I think, it'll, I think it's here to stay, to be honest. Um, you know, we've used it, whether it's, at top order players or at, at lower order players, um, and that's I know when I'm going out to bat, that's what I'm facing. So um, I think it's an integral part of the game. To be honest, um, we're obviously not intending to hurt anyone, but it's it's about getting the wickets um, and cleaning up that tail as quick as we can. And if that's the way to go about it, and that's the best option, then um, we'll probably go down that path. So I think it's gonna it's gonna hang around for sure. And 
Um, as I said, we're not looking to, to injure anyone or hit anyone in the head, but um, it certainly brings about wickets quicker than, than not doing it. That was Josh Hazelwood. He doesn't want to see the bouncer banned. And look, I think this is a ridiculous suggestion from Malcolm Knox, but I do think the issue of player safety has been overlooked a little bit. So I think he's sort of on the right path, but I think he's had a few too many knocks to the head. What do you think, Paul? To be fair to him, it's not like he wants to get rid of the bouncer. Also, a quote in his article was, I love the bouncer and dread the idea of test cricket being without it. He's more saying that he thinks it's an inevitability that it will go, not that he relishes yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. I don't agree with him that it's inevitable that it will go, but I don't agree with the other opinion as well that it's inevitable that it will stay. Look at the way the game has evolved. If you and I were here even, say, eight years ago, and if someone had said to us, in a very short space of time, if you get hit in the head and concussed, you can get replaced and your replacement can bat and bowl, we would have said, nah, that'll never happen. And yet, six or seven years later, it's in and it's happening. It, you, you think back to how much of a change yeah, true. that was. I mean, the education around CTE and stuff has been a lot more... Um, come, a lot's come out in the last eight years. And secondly, in terms of uh, fundamentally changing the game, you could argue that the arrival of the helmet has already fundamentally changed the game. I've always remember, I think I've said it on the podcast before, when they once showed highlights of Tony Gregg getting 100 in the first test of the 74-75 Ashes against Lily and Tomo. And he was playing beautifully, no helmet. And at one point, they showed a highlight of one where he kind of didn't back away, but he kind of, his back foot went back towards leg stump rather than back and across. And he sort of... Um, played a bit of a kind of a, a square drive through uh, extra cover. And one of the modern-day commentators said, yeah, a little bit um, little bit leg-sideish there, Greggy. And he said, I'll tell you what, if you didn't have a helmet and you're facing Dennis Lilly and uh, Jeff Thompson, you'd be a little bit leg-side of the ball as well. And it was kind of like, yeah, when there's – as soon as the helmets came – that fundamentally changed the the way it was. You, you're not impregnable with the helmet. You're not invincible with the helmet, but you're a damn sight lot safer than than you are without it. So I'm saying, the precedent is there that the the game can be changed in a way that we would think is um, a unlikely and b significant, and yet the game survived and went on. So the question I've got for you: If you were in charge of cricket, uh, and someone said to you, "Listen," I've got a lawyer in here and a medical expert, and they say that now, knowing what we know about concussion, we are an outlier as the only sport outside of combat sports that enable that allow the, the head to be targeted. Um, we need to do something about it. Otherwise, maybe in 10 years' time, we'll get a spate of grade cricketers and club cricketers and international cricketers with a class action against us, and we won't have a leg to, won't have a leg to stand on. If, and I don't know if that's the case, but if that was to be put to them, they might say, we've got no choice. We might have to say... If the ball is above the shoulders, it's a no ball, and maybe the bowler gets uh, you know a first warning a la walking on the pitch or something like that. Will it make the game completely safe? Of course not. You can never do that. But they might argue that in doing that, um, it brings it into line with, say, rugby league, where occasionally a player does hit someone in the head, but they know that if they do that, it's going to be a penalty. They might get suspended, and it, it usually happens inadvertently. So it might still happen in, in test cricket where you look to bowl a ball that sort of rises rib high, it gets a bit shorter and it comes up at the head, but you know that, that there'll be a penalty that will be incurred as, as a result. I would hate this to happen. I don't want it to happen. I'm just saying I could see where it happened. If it did happen, and here's another question for you. If you're a fast bowler and someone said to you, what would you prefer? Status quo or no longer can you bowl balls above the shoulder height, but we'll give you something back. We'll make it that if you get hit outside the line of off um, and you are playing a stroke, you can still be given out LBW. I might take the latter. The, the, you know, I'm just saying there are ways that it could be brought in. Yeah, I mean, 
you made some sense there. But <laughs> That's one of the nicest uh, things you've ever said. But I just think this is fool's, foolhardy. I mean, we have to get better at protecting players. I mean, helmets can get better. Bowl, we can come up with a, a helmet that bowlers can wear so you're protecting their skull and temple so in their follow-through they can't get balls hit at back at them because I'm sorry, but that to me is more dangerous than the batter. The batter's waiting for the ball, he's got a bat, he's got a helmet, he's got all the stuff, all, all the protective equipment, whereas the bowler bowls the ball, are we going to ban the straight drive? We say, okay, <laughs> oh, okay, lofted straight drive, bang, that's a no ball too. And, and you're out, actually you're out, batter you're out, lofted straight drive, out you go. So I think protection will get better. As you know, Paul, I'm a big baseball fan. They have been developing a, a pitcher's helmet, so uh, Pitchers can still pitch and protect their head. So I think that's the next thing to come in. I think we'll see umpires wearing helmets. And I think helmet technology will need to get a bit better um, to protect players' heads. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I agree that it's a real worry. The, the, the Cameron Green one was especially concerning because you're not going to get a bowler with better reflexes than Cameron Green. I mean, he's a top-class batsman. He was bowling in a first-class game, not a T20, and the batsman was a you know a tail ender. You factor in a bowler who's got lower reflexes against a much more powerful batter in a T Twenty game. Green didn't get his hands up in time, so I, I think there's a, a real um, problem there. And I think that a bowler's helmet would be great. Uh, let's see if they can bring it in. The other alternative is to fall back on maybe we do need to do something about bat sizes and say would it we, we love sixes but would it be a better game if some of these top edges that well, I mean I've seen a couple of top edges in the last few days that have not just gone for six they've sailed over the rope and you think that really should be being caught at fine leg maybe if we reduced a bit of the um, play with a tape tennis ball well I've said no it, pads I've said it before on this show it's at least worth exploring can they make the ball marginally softer so it's not quite as lethal and retain its characteristics. And people hearing that say, well, you're an idiot, Paul. Um, And my point is, well, they found a white ball, they found a pink ball. um, At least they could try. Um, And I've said it before. Once I played in the corporate games and they had a ball, I don't know what it was, but it it felt like a proper cricket Mm, ball. Yeah, I've used those hybrid balls. Yeah, and I've never enjoyed cricket more. The, the opposition had a really quick bowler. And normally I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get behind this because I don't want to be called a coward, but I'm not going to enjoy it. Suddenly it was like, this is fun. This is going to be a challenge. Can I hit it? It was the most I've enjoyed the game. There is something to be said for that. And if it then means that the umpire is safer, the fast bowl, the, the bowler is safer, and the crowd is safer, and fielders are safer, it's, it's, worth, it. it's worth investigating. Definitely. And my final point is... Malcolm Knox is a good writer, but I I have a real problem with this article because I think he's he's not taking the the, the issue of safety in the right way. He's, he's put out this ridiculous suggestion without really investigating what the issues are with safety. And I would say there's, there's issues, just as many issues around crowd safety and bowler safety and umpire safety as there is around batting. And I, I just think this is um, a foolhardy article and proposition from Malcolm Knox. But you can't say that to argue against him, he's picked that one issue here of I want to improve batsman safety, and you can't say, oh, there's lots of other problems as well. It doesn't work that way. You've got to look at the issue that he's Okay, but I'm looking at the issue, and it's just a fool. It's a fool's foolhardy thing to say they're going to ban the bouncer, uh, just ridiculous. And uh, then to cop out with it and say, oh, I love the bouncer, but in 20 years they they might have banned it. I mean, okay, I get it. He's a columnist. He's supposed to generate discussion. He's certainly done that. But I, I just think this shows no awareness of the real issues at play. But he's saying it just may happen. 
Now, how certain are you in twenty years that the that that, that it won't be? Above the no, above the shoulders of the no ball. Are you a hundred percent certain that's not going to be the case? I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I will. I will give you some credit. The only thing that would come into this is litigation, and but, but we're seeing in America the NFLs keeps keeps going on. They've got cases of CTE left, right, and centre. They're still playing. They haven't stopped changed the rules. So yeah, um, but yeah, I can't be a hundred percent certain. Maybe in twenty years I'll be here apologising to Malcolm Knox when um, <laughs> they're playing with a tennis ball or something, <laughs> rolling a tennis ball along the ground. <laughs> All right, the next headline: uh, Since we last recorded, Australia won the third T Twenty International at the SCG. Unfortunately, Aaron Finch was back as captain, so the little general Matt Wade didn't get two uh, two games as captain, but he did perform very well. He made eighty of fifty three deliveries. Glenn Maxwell made 54 of 36 deliveries. Australia made 5 for 186. In reply, India was 7 for 174. Coley, 85 of 61 deliveries. Did very well. So India won that series 2-1. So basically three all after six white ball games. I'm keeping an overall count. It's three all as we head into the test series. (laughs) Um, But there was an interesting incident where Matt Wade was batting and uh, a ball hit him um, on the pads and there was an appeal. The umpire gave it not out. And from where I was sitting in the crowd, I could be 100% wrong, but Virat Kohli was sort of just in front of me at deep long on. India didn't look like they were going to call for the DRS. And just as that happened, the replay came up on the big screen and it looked pretty adjacent. And then Virat Kohli said, hey, but we want a replay. And the umpire said, well, no, they've, they've played the replay on the big screen. A big mistake by um, the replay board to put the, the Matt Wade replay up there. No, I don't agree with that. You don't agree with that? That it was a big mistake. No, but go on. Well, I just think, obviously, the 15, I think, what is it, 10 or 15, 15 seconds. seconds hadn't gone down. So um, they sort of opened the door. But it did appear that the Indian team saw the replay and then went, oh, well, that looks pretty good. Yeah, well, the other thing that um, it should be mentioned is that the umpires didn't decline the review. They allowed the review. It was when Matt Wade actually said he just got that off the big screen. Then they sort of looked into it and then they declined the review. I, I think where I can't criticise the scoreboard is that unless they change things at the moment, if you're the scoreboard attendant, you're not going to wait 15 seconds after every appeal because there are so many appeals where it's – you even see it on the screen. Sometimes they'll have 15 14, 13, and then the timer just disappears when it's clear no one's going And to. that's what it looked like to me. It looked yeah. like the game was carrying on. But to just to – Coley was at deep long on, so he was out of the action, and he was doing things a bit slower that game because he was so far away, you know. He'd have to run in and see what the other players thought of the replay. So mm. he could legitimately say, look, it took me a while to get my stuff together. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt that he saw it on the big screen. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be something that occurs very often. The good thing about it was it, it didn't blow up. I thought, oh, here we go. This is going to um, you know, become the biggest thing ever, but it, it didn't become such a big thing. The other thing is, what no one's talking about is, it's yet another example of where we got the wrong decision. That way it was plumb. He should have been out. And the fact that it didn't get reviewed, ultimately, is a pity. Uh, Ian Chappell always talks about taking it out of the hands of the players and putting it in the hands of the umpires, which I don't think he fully appreciates what that will be. And that will be that umpires basically will send upstairs virtually every single decision. Which I think they did in the super test when they Australia played the World Eleven 
15 years ago. Yeah, they didn't want to, though. Rudy Kurtzen was like, um, I should only refer it if I'm unsure. Well, I have to be sure of every decision, so I'm going to refer none of them. And then I think after one of the days play, they said, guys, we're trying to have an experiment here. We're trying to have an experiment here. So you referred everything. Any danger of actually um, bloody well doing what we're asking. And so then he started to refer it. But then they had no Hawkeye and or anything like that. It was just kind of um, no predictive path. So... You, you know, you love talking about uh, other sports. Rugby league next year in, in Australia, every try is going to have to be um, referred. That's what would eventually happen. I agree with that. With I cricket. absolutely agree with that. Uh, and Look at him trying to get rugby league credibility. Um, um, SEN 1170, I can do it all. So uh, call me up for my um, hot takes on league. <laughs> Jaleesa and Paul have been schooling me, so I'm ready to go. All right, well, let's get on to the big bash. It started... Uh, it's very early, and as we record this, there's going to be more games played. So I don't think we'll get into the minutia of the ladder, but let's start where we just finished. The, the, there's already been complaints that there's no DRS in the Big Bash. Uh, Usman Khawaja was out when he probably wasn't. Maxwell probably got a rough decision. Uh, again, you know, if you go back and listen to this podcast over the last three or four years, we've been complaining about no DRS. Now, I've been doing some research, and the situation is that uh, Cricket Australia won't pay for DRS, so it'll be up to, say, Fox Cricket or Channel 7, and that's going to cost to do the whole summer about 5 or $6 million. And there is a proposal that um, – because and the cost comes around getting hotspot and snicko at every ground. That's the cost. So there's a proposal out there that why not have a third umpire? You can still have DRS, but all the third umpire has is access to all the replays. So they can refer them, but – uh, they don't have to get hotspot and sneak out every ground. There's a third umpire who can look at it from all the angles and then make a decision. Which do they get Hawkeye? Uh, yes, they do. Yeah, I think they. Where I think Hawkeye's in at most grounds. Yep. Not every ground, but it's in like I think seventy, eighty percent of the grounds. I think it's to do with the camera placements in some of the smaller grounds. Now, I would much rather have that system where um, a, a third umpire can look at the replays and make a decision than have no system at all. As long as they do get Hawkeye, then I'm, I could agree with that. Now I, I, they don't need hotspot. Most other countries don't bother with hotspot. Uh, so you could, you could slash that from the bill. As long as you had Snicko, then you would be having the same standard of DRS that you, you'd be having in other countries. So I don't know what that would reduce the $5 million by, um, which is the more expensive one. I'm not sure. You wouldn't have think, thought that Snicko would be that expensive. Something has to be done. I mean, this is farcical. Uh, what's farcical about it is this is a TV product. CA are building this is a TV product. So, uh, okay, it might slow the game down if you're at the ground, but if you're watching on TV, it takes away the credibility of the competition when you see bad decisions like that. Plus, whether you're at the ground or at home, the DRS is entertaining. You get a any living room in Australia where the cricket's on and people are half paying attention, the minute there's, oh, they're going upstairs to check this, everyone's suddenly watching. Now, I know that some people get annoyed that they have to spend a little bit of time forensically checking whether it got an inside edge or not when everyone kind of knows that he didn't. But really, that's 20 or 30 seconds. And then that moment when the ball tracking is built and it's about to go down, that's the most entertaining part of the game just about. Um, he loves it. He loves it, this guy. Exactly. I, I, you know, um, But who doesn't? Who doesn't suddenly get excited by the fact that you're going to get this beautiful graphic that shows it through? I, I think it enhances the appeal 
And since we asked Anthony Everard four years ago, and he said, look, and he was in charge of the, the Big Bash at the time, and he said, listen, uh, it's about summer, breezy fun. We're, we're bringing new fans to the game. We don't think they care so much about it. We just want the game to move on and, and move quickly, which I disagree with, but I can see where he's coming from. Since then, the IPL has brought it in. The, the, the country that was most against reviews have now brought it in. Um, also, the speed of the game is not so quick anymore. They're, they're having extra drinks breaks. The games are you know, lingering on anyway. So uh, I think bring it in and, and get things accurate because the other day Glenn Maxwell got out when he shouldn't have been. I think that there would be thousands of people who immediately switched off. Yep, agree. A um, couple of bits of news. Um, Chris Lynn and Danny Lawrence from the Brisbane Heat have been um, caught basically. Well, I don't know if they're breaching the, the COVID protocols, but they have come into close contact with the public. They are allowed to play the Heat's next game, which – you probably will have been played by the time you listen to this, but keep an eye on that because if Lynn and Lawrence are found to have, have gone way outside the rules, they might find themselves missing out a couple of games. Uh, and also cheers to the Melbourne Renegades who um, now have the first and second biggest losses in Big Bash, Big Bash history. They lost to the Sydney Sixers by 145 runs on Sunday night. Brilliant stuff. I loved it, actually. I love those kind of... Uh, complete debacle so i loved it but now paul you've got some pros and cons of the big bash well the first con is that that last night after the um after the sydney Sixers innings i was saying to everyone look there's they could they could chase this down the renegades you watch and i was sitting there all smugly thinking you know i reckon <laughs> i reckon they'll make a good fist at this and suddenly they were 10 for three or something <laughs> I, I had another tweet where i put out jordan silk should not be yeah. out now should be christian or brathway and silk comes out and has the game of his life yeah. and 40 or 15 balls i still stay christian came out hit six four one which is a strike rate of 350 so i still stand by my original tweet uh, if Christian had been head, head, gone out ahead of Silk, they might have had 240. Oh, I think with Christian and Brathwaite on your side, you want them to be facing a lot of balls. All right, your pros and cons from the beginning of the Big Bash. Pros, uh, it's on and it has clear air at the moment. That shouldn't be discounted, the fact that Cricket Australia has done a great job getting the competition on. It's on at a time where there's precious little other sport on and I think it still has the opportunity to really... Um, be a hit this summer. I think the standard of cricket has been pretty good. I mean, obviously the Renegades last night, not so much, but in general, I think. I it's, agree. I think it's been. I mean, good we've standard. seen some really good performances. Short, uh, Philippi, Stoinis, Coulton Isle. I mean, some world class performers have been turning it on. Yeah, I think the pitches have been a pro as well. And uh, we've been critical of pitches in the past in in the Big Bash and of of, of grounds where they've been low and slow. Uh, Monica has been. Uh, I think guilty of that a little bit in the past. Certainly not this Definitely, year. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's, and you can't underestimate that. That's um, agree. That's a big thing. We've seen some good run scoring so far. The cons. I mean, there's the usual. The the the, the stars game the other day. I was at a place uh, at my parents' house and they don't have Fox anymore. And I thought, oh, the cricket's on. And so I said, oh, see you guys. I'm going upstairs to watch the the cricket. And then turn up and on Channel Seven. They had something else. And I thought, oh, that's right. It's one of these games. So that's um, that's a problem. The lack of crowds. I can't blame Cricket Australia for this at all, but it's it's a little bit incongruous now that we've had a big crowd at the SCG to suddenly have all these games where there is uh, is no crowd. You can't blame them for setting up the hubs, but the timing was very unlucky because if it had been a week later, they might have been able to, to kind of um, go with a more traditional format. So it's been a little bit strange. And the cold, I know that's that's weird, but seeing we've chosen the two <laughs> coldest venues, like Hobart and Canberra are freezing, and seeing players with blankets on and you know visibly freezing, you think, is this in um, Dunedin or somewhere, or um, is this in England? Uh, so that's... <laughs> That's been slightly disappointing. Um, 
games haven't been all that close yet, but that's no one's fault. The lack of stars, but that, again, that's you know in COVID, um, that's the that's the way it is. But you know, you look at some of the players thinking, and you think it's pretty clear this is not the IPL because some of these guys are very much kind of um, fringe fringe cricketers at best. And lastly, I saw on Offsiders on ABC that. They talked a bit about the, how the tournament was going, but there wasn't much inclination to talk about match by match. I think that's an existing, a, a kind of a continual con of the of the Big Bash that because it is so entertainment geared, it's somehow it's sometimes a little bit hard to sort of delve into the match reports and take in, in the way that a, a report on other sports would. Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree with most of those. Um, my um, last point on the Big Bash is uh, sort of the first thoughts around the new rules, and, and one thing that sort of str- I find surprising is. You know, I've I've been told that both the TV networks were not in favour of these rule changes. So why did they do them then, Cricket Australia? Because, I mean, the t- TV product, if the, the networks don't want these rule changes, why do it? Um, I think they've worked out as predicted. No one's taken the X factor. We should have some sort of celebration when the first side does use their substitute. Um, <laughs> was the other night that the Scorchers had um, <laughs> they were five for not many, and they had two bowlers on the bench, so they um, they couldn't even bring in an extra batter. The thing was, you wouldn't do that anyway because if you are five for not many, you're thinking to yourself, the only way we're going to get out of this is to bowl really, really well. Bringing in your eighth choice batter to suddenly come out and the, the fall of the next wicket. But if you had a sort of an all rounder as a sub, you could say, okay, we're not going to lose much on the bowling, yeah, that's but true. maybe we're going to get yeah. some runs to defend. All right, that was the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcast. We're going to take our final break and then we'll be back with Can't Let It Go. Look, we're running out of time, but thank you to Jeff Riley for leaving a nice review and Sidant Gerda for sending in his suggestions. He's he's in your school. He wants Josh Philippi and Glenn Maxwell to open in the first test. So Sidant Gerda has some out-of-the-box thinking, but I like it. Philippi's going to be a huge talent and... Um, Yep, certainly one to watch. All right, uh, we'll be back in a moment. I just want to remind you, go on to Twitter and Instagram, follow us on Oz Cricket Pod, that's A-U-S Cricket Pod, or go to TikTok and put in Cricket Unfiltered and you'll find all our videos. All right, back with Can't Let It Go. Thank you for sticking with Cricket Unfiltered this week. We're coming to the end and it's... That segment where it's can't let it go, where it's that little bit of cricket news you just can't let go through to Tim Payne behind the stumps. you just got to play a shot at it. So, Paul, what's your can't let it go? Well, listeners, before I get to mine, I just want to say how excited I am to hear Menes' ones. I read the notes and thought, did I write this? This is... um. This is Menas talking about the distant history of the game, so look forward to that. Uh, <laughs> my one is just just briefly, um, apparently Jordan Silk's fantastic fielding effort the other night where he dived like Superman and th- caught the ball over the rope and threw it back in, featured in ESPN America's uh, Sports Centre's top 10 players of the day, as did some other cricketing highlight apparently as well. I've searched the internet for a little while. I can't find it. If anyone out there can um, direct me to a link, I, I just love it. Every couple of years when cricket makes the American mainstream, it just gives me such pleasure. So <laughs> that's my can't let it go. Please, listeners, send us through to um, uh, I'm at the underscore summer underscore game. Send me a message if you can find out where I can see that. I'd love it. All right. My can't let it go is I was listening to some um, Sport FM podcast, which is a radio station in Perth that Paul and I go on often to talk about cricket, and they are celebrating the 50-year the anniversary of the first test being played in Western Australia. So December 11th to 16, 50 years ago, Australia took on England. It was a draw. Ian Redpath made 171, 
and Greg Chappell on Debu made 108. Now, Ian Chappell was interviewed um, by Peter Vlahos over there, and a really interesting thing came up from Ian Chappell. He was asked what it was like when he saw his younger brother go out and score a century on Debu, and he said it actually gave him, gave him a bit of a kick up the bum. He thought, well, I better actually go a bit better mm. at test level. My little brother's out there scoring 100, and he said he thinks he got better after Greg's debut. So I went into the stats, um, online stats, and found that Chappelle's average when Greg Chappell made his debut was 35.24, and when, when Ian Chappell finished playing, his average was seven runs better at 42.42. So Ian Chappell was absolutely right. When his younger brother came in, he started doing better. And he was a better player than 42.42. If, if only he'd listened to people telling him to give the hook shot up, which he thinks is the stupidest thing ever, and he thinks that Steve Waugh was a, 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 an inferior cricketer because he gave the hook shot up. I reckon if Ian Chappell had given the hook shot up, he would have averaged closer to 50. Well, he talks about this in this interview, and he says he, he reckons he, – he not, Bob Simpson told him to give up the hook shot, and he reckons Bob Simpson was a terrible batting coach. And then he said he was in England, I think, and Kenny Barrington said to him, yes. I think you should give up the hook shot. And he said, well, look, when a pom's telling me to give up the hook shot, I'll do the opposite. And Kenny Barrington only averaged 58 in test cricket. Yeah, exactly. I think he said give it up after 50. Um, Kenny Barrington's not a player we talk about much. We don't talk about enough. About but I, I was looking at his – I mean, you're right. It's almost 60. I mean, he'd be in the top few test batsmen of all time. He's right up there, yeah, and a very, very good player. Um, died when he was manager of England um, in the West Indies, I think, very uh, at a young age. Yeah, Ian Chappell, um, I heard a different interview where he talked about that and said, I wasn't going to give up the, the hook shot. I went out with Greg and we went out to the Nets for about three months and practised it. And then he described how the first ball of his next innings, he got out hooking. The next innings after that, he got out hooking. And then the next innings, he got a 50 and I said, oh, he played lots of good hooks. And then, albeit I did get out hooking as well. Um, <laughs> so his argument that, that he was right to not give up the hook shot was that he was then out hooking in the next three innings. Now, Chappelle, if you're listening, uh, please don't hate me, but I, I think you would have been better off listening to Simmer. <laughs> yeah, I will say I've had Chappelle on this podcast <laughs> once and it was one of the more nervous interviews I've conducted. Cause you, I, but you, when you ring Chappelle, you know he's not going to take any sort of oh, BS. Yeah. So um, anyway. um, um, I think he probably is correctly regarded as the best captain Australia's ever had. Uh, you know, uh, plenty of time for him in lots of ways, but uh, give up the hook shot. <laughs> a bit late now. <laughs> well, and if you want to hear that full interview, head to, I think it's Sport FM in Perth, their website. You can find Sportsline. And they've done a series of interviews. Bob Massey was interviewed, Tom Moody, a lot of paper. Uh, you know, very big figures of the game. I particularly found the Bob Massey one interview interview interesting. Um, not a player we hear a lot from. Yeah, he got those um, sixteen wickets on debut, and then um, he lost his outswinger, didn't he? Uh, he got to lost the lost the ability to bowl it. Yeah, I don't, he didn't say he lost the outswinger in the interview, but it's hard. Where do you go from sixteen on debut? It's, it's pretty only ways down. <laughs> um, all right, well, I guess that's it for cricket unfiltered. Enjoy the day night test match, Paul. Have a great Christmas or festive season. You won't be here next week. You've asked for the week off the podcast and your leave was granted. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I guess we'll catch up to you after catch up with you after the Boxing Day test. Yeah, Merry Christmas everyone and enjoy the cricket and enjoy the, the first test and the Boxing Day test. Do you tell your child that Santa Claus is real or fake? This is one to spring on me at the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm just curious because I can't imagine you would be a, a Santa Claus um, sort of believer. No, I don't believe in Santa Claus. No, but I um, mean, like, you wouldn't tell no. your kids that. When she was old enough to, when she was two and a half, I sat her down and said, listen, 
you're going to hear a lot of rubbish about Santa Claus. He's not true, nor is the Tooth Fairy, and nor is the Easter Bunny. Um, no, I didn't do that. I did that to my kids. <laughs> I did. And we had some friends over the other day, and they reminded us that our daughter had ruined Christmas for their child by telling them that Santa Claus wasn't real. No, all I've done is I haven't – I mean, I, I love Santa Claus in the sense – but once you realise that he's not real, it's, it's fun to play along, but you don't have to mm. pretend that he's real. Um, but I, what I've done is I've realised I don't want to be the pariah. So when my daughter says, you know, you know, Santa Claus goes to uh, every house, and I start saying – when you think about it, there's probably about two billion children in the world, and you Does divide. This seem true to and my you? wife says, "Paul, Paul," and I go, "All right, just yeah, okay, then nothing." All right, so Paul's <laughs> lying to his kids. I'm not. We're going to take. Uh, that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.